And, and what that means is that you can click on any block at any time and see the result in real time, which is comparable to, to the REPL you were talking about. But you can also change programs uh, live and immediately see the effect of these changes. Welcome to Kids Lab, a podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. In this episode, I'm talking to Bernard Romagosa about microblocks, which can be used to program common educational boards such as the BBC Microbit, Kaiope Mini, or the Adafruit Circuit Playground Express. Bernard is a software engineer from Barcelona and he has supported a variety of educational projects in the past. For example, he has supported BeetleBlocks, which uses visual coding to create 3D shapes and models for 3D printing, or has contributed to Snap, a visual programming language that we covered in another early episode of Kids Lab podcast. Be sure to check the show notes for a link to that episode. Bernard was also part of the Edutech group at CityLab and Makerspace in Barcelona for six years, where he worked on developing an online programming school, a social knowledge management system, different educational applications, and a bunch of Snap modifications. Bernard just recently joined SAP and is now part of the Young Thinkers group, from where he still supports the beauty and joy of computing project and contributes to Snap programming language. He holds a bachelor's degree in computer science and a master's degree in free software. At Microblocks, he codes parts of the virtual machine, the standalone IDE and the Snap port, and is also a member of the Project Leadership Committee. So what is Microblocks all about? Microblocks is a new programming language inspired by Scratch that runs inside microcontroller boards such as the BBC Microbit, the Calliope Mini or Adafruit Circuit Playground Express. After installing the Microblocks editor and flashing the Microblocks firmware once, you can quickly upload new code or change existing programs. It just takes a second. Of course, the usual suspects of visual coding blocks are available, such as various logic blocks, loops, blocks for controlling the input and output of the microbit, such as the input pins and LEDs, or various math blocks. When it comes to learning resources, the Microblocks team provides very cool printable activity cards as well as guided activities which should come really handy in the classroom. Like always, please visit kidslab.dev for the show notes. All links mentioned as well as explanatory screenshots are available there. Be sure to check it out. Again, that's kidslab.dev. So hi Bernard. Awesome to have you on the show. How are you these days? I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. So Bernard, with Microblocks, I understand that I can program my BBC Microbit, for example, or other devices like the Calliope Mini or the Circuit Playground Express from, from Adafruit. And I guess most people are really familiar with doing that. And it seems like, um, it seems like Microblocks is somewhat different here. So I want to ask you in the first question, what is the difference between using the typical tools like Microsoft MakeCode versus Microblocks? Uh, there are many differences between the two. For, for instance, Microblocks is a live programming language. It's also a parallel programming language. Uh, so you can run more than one task at the same time. And it also works on a wide variety of 32-bit uh, microcontrollers. That includes the Microbit, but also the Calliope, Circuit Playground Express, uh, the Node MCU, 
M5 stack and, and several other 32-bit uh, boards. The idea behind microblocks is when we started it, there were two types of blocks-based systems for microcontrollers. Uh, there were static systems like MakeCode that let you push the program to the board and disconnect it from the computer. But these aren't live systems, right? You need to press a button to, to send the program to the board or you need to wait for some compile cycle or download it and upload it and, and so on. Uh, and then there were dynamic systems like Snap for Arduino that are live but require the port to be always tethered to the computer. And uh, and well, we we wanted to have uh, a tool that that um, that had the best of both worlds, right? So we were trying to write the language that we wish existed uh, when we got into microcontrollers. Yeah, very cool. So you just mentioned parallel programming. And I, I would assume for most teachers and also parents out there, um, that is hard to understand. So can you maybe give us an example what would be possible with microblocks versus what would be really hard with something like Microsoft MakeCode, for example? Yeah, uh, blinking two LEDs at the, two LEDs at the same time, for example, at different intervals. Or um, the way you handle, I mean, MakeCode is a bit special in that regard because you can have separate scripts that do different things. But uh, if you use Arduino, for example, uh, it's very hard to parallelize things. It's it's even hard for a beginner to read uh, input uh, inputs of different buttons and have them do different things. Since you have to convert what's essentially a parallel task, which is reading several buttons at the same time, and, and turn it into a, into a sequential one, right? As programmers, maybe we're used to thinking sequentially, but as humans, we're used to thinking in parallel. So I noticed microblocks come with an app. Um, and I wanted to ask you, for which platforms is this app available that you can use to, to program the Calliope then in this case, for example? And what is the, the benefit of having a, a native app that you need to download to your operating system versus having a pure web-based approach like, like MakeCode, for example? The advantages are blurrier, really. The, the thing is that uh, web apps can't do everything that uh, desktop apps can. For example, it's hard for a web application to access the serial port uh, because for security reasons, browsers don't give you access to the serial port. There used to be workarounds to that, but every browser has uh, systematically taken this down. Uh, it's also hard to access the file system and, and things like that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really the best time for you to ask this question because since last month, Microblocks does also work natively on the web. Uh, because Google Chrome has somewhat recently released an experimental web serial API that lets you connect to devices via the serial port straight from, from the web. And they promise it's here to stay. So I hope they're for real because they've discontinued other approaches in the past. And, and so, sorry to answer your, your initial question. Uh, we are supporting natively uh, new Linux, uh, macOS, and Windows. So one thing that I noticed on the website of Microblocks is that uh, you have these activity cards, right? Um, and they're pretty awesome. So I'd like to explore that a little bit later on, actually, because first of all, I noticed that there's an activity card when it comes to Mozilla IoT. So this is about taking IoT and maybe explaining it to take kids, of course, with the help of the Mo Mozilla WebThings gateway and the Raspberry Pi, for example. So can you explain a bit um, what IoT is all about and how microblocks and, and IoT could work together with this Mozilla WebThings gateway? Uh, the idea behind IoT is uh, 
the internet usually involves human interaction, right? It's most often either a human using an online service or two humans interacting with each other like we're doing right now. The internet, the internet of things uh, refers to the interaction between devices through the internet without any human intervention. So it's device-to-device -device communication over the internet. But I think today, you know, IoT is a term that's been um, widely overused. <laughs> and I think it's mostly used to mean something closer to hardware with no operating system that uses the internet. So that excludes phones, computers, tablets, etc. And what is the reason you chose the Mozilla WebThink gateway to, to do these experiments with? So mm, back then, so one, one of the members of the team is Kathy Giori. Uh, and back then she was uh, working at Mozilla. And that's, uh, she, she was actually working in the group that uh, designed the WebThings protocol and, and the WebThings gateway. Yeah, because I really noticed that it's, a, it's an excellent introduction to, to the Internet of Things. And uh, it's something that... Uh, lots of parents will be able to learn something from, right? I mean, as, assuming that their kids basically do the projects in the end, uh, that's it's an amazing piece of learning, I would say. So it's really amazing. Let's stay with the activity cards. I really think they're pretty awesome. So these are printable cards and then you fold them, right? And you have great little helpers during workshops, for example. What's your favorite activity card? My favorite, I think, has to be the... So they, they are all pretty basic, uh... But I think the sensors one is the one I like the most because it, it casually introduces lots of concepts that I love, like liveness and parallelism. So the first thing it tells you is to click on a blog to see its result. Uh, that's something you can't do in a static uh, programming language. And it also, it, it also shows you uh, how to run several scripts in parallel. So it's a simple one, but it introduces concepts that in in other languages would be really complicated. Then I noticed that you can add some libraries to microblocks and that, for example, gives you the, the, the opportunity to, to program NeoPixels for LEDs, for example, or some sensors. And so what are some of these libraries that you think are really well done and that you would recommend to look at when, it, when you use microblocks? One that I, I love very much is the Tone library. It's used to make music. Uh, but recently, we've had a lot of contributions by Jose Garcia from the City Lab at Bar in Barcelona. And we now have libraries for sensors of all sorts, including color sensors, RFID uh, readers, gesture sensors, etc. These are under the sensing category. Then there's also recently I've implemented network capabilities for microblocks. So there's uh, two different network libraries. So if you have a network-capable board, a board that has Wi-Fi, uh, you can create a simple HTTP server or access network services. And, and then there is uh, John Maloney, who is uh, the main developer, the lead developer of Microblocks. He's recently added support for files and binary da data. And again, Jose Garcia from the City Lab, who is our master librarian uh, right now, He implemented libraries to read BMP image files and wave sound files. So we have some media capabilities if you have a board that has uh, a display and a speaker and, and so on. So are these uh, libraries all tested out with uh, in workshops, for example, with the kids, for example, or are these mostly are some of these features intended to be used by, I would say, adult tinkerers, actually? That's a good question. So our target audience is definitely education. But we, as, as John likes to put it, we also like to target the casual programmer. 
So to give you an example of what a casual programmer could do with microblocks, John automated the heating system of his whole condo building with microblocks. And I think uh, the way it works is there is a board in the boiler room that's programmed with microblocks, and it can turn the heating system on and off. And then there's another board in John's living room that measures temperature, and the two, the two boards communicate with each other, uh, actually using the Mozilla WebThings protocol. So the board measuring the temperature can tell the one in the boiler room when it's too cold or too hot and, and so on. So we're definitely target, targeting the education world, but there's also a market for casual programmers and, and this sort of user. Yeah, I think it's, it's very suitable for, I think, something that's called citizen development, right? Or citizen developers, basically. And I mean, one one benefit of this could be, for example, that this way you, of course, engage with a lot of people who would typically not maybe program uh, a home IoT-based heating system or so, but this way they can also show it to their kids, right? And exactly. they can explore it with the kids at home. And so it's it's definitely... I think it's a great way to also introduce some of these topics to your kids, yeah? even if they might not program it themselves, for example. So there's one feature that I found also pretty impressive, and that's the one that's called data graph, I believe. So it means that you can track, for example, a sensor reading, and then you can very quickly see a graph being outputted on the screen. Can you explain a bit how, how this works and, and uh, what cool things you can do with that? So the way it works is you use a block called uh, graph, and you feed it uh, numbers. You can feed it uh, several numbers at the same time. And what it does, what this block does is it inputs, uh, it plots a point into a graph window that you can open and close and export as a CSV later on. And, and there's, there's a very nice example that John recently made uh, where he launched a board into the air and graphed its vertical acceleration and you could clearly see the point of zero G when it reached the top and also the spikes from landing and from bouncing on the bed. So it's, it's meant, uh, it's meant as, a, as an additional way to explore uh, sensor values and so on. And I think this way, because you're, you're visualizing the data, right? You can kind of get a feeling for all these data points, right? So it's, it's really about data science, actually. It's very cool. So do you have some general advice when it comes to using microblocks in a classroom, for example, with lots of kids or just maybe just a few kids to begin with? Okay, so how do you start? And you now, are there some common pitfalls? Like, I mean, maybe forgetting to, to flash microblocks, for example, onto the microbit or? Yeah, so that one's taken care of because uh, microblocks uh, can flash the virtual machine automatically now since a while ago. So if you forget to do that... Uh, it's done automatically by the IDE. But uh, but yeah, I'd recommend starting by using our getting started cards. And there, there's also uh, John Hegarty, and he's compiled a very extensive Microblocks basic examples collection, which is linked from our site under the learning page. That's a really nice uh, collection of examples. And as for common pitfalls, I'd I don't know. I think some kids and educators tend to use life languages as if they are as if they were static. I know I'm I'm talking about a, a lot about liveness, but I'm I'm really obsessed with this. <laughs> uh, so, what that means is they they write a huge program, run it, and then try to debug the whole thing, right? But in life languages, uh, we like to foster experimentation. So, clicking on incomplete scripts or temporarily assembling test scripts that you discard uh, later and clicking on single blocks to see what they do is totally the way to go. 
in microblogs and similar languages. So Bernard, I think it's a great idea to to elaborate a bit more on on the liveness point that you just made. So is this comparable to the read evaluate print loop, for example, in Python? So you type a piece of of code and it kind of changes a running system, for example. Yeah, it's yeah, it's comparable. Uh, the thing is, microblogs is actually inspired in the Smalltalk virtual machine, which is like the king of live languages. Uh, and, and what that means is that you can click on any block at any time and see the result in real time, which is comparable to, to the REPL you were talking about. But you can also change programs uh, live and immediately see the effect of these changes. So, and we went, we actually went so far into the idea of liveness that you can disconnect the board at any point without having to click any upload buttons or wait for any synchronization process. So when you're happy with your program, you just disconnect it disconnect the board and the program will just keep running on the board. What happens in this case if you un unplug it from power and replug it, then it, does it automatically save the program too? Exactly. So the program will just keep running on the board. And well, the fact is that it always runs on the board. What you see on the screen is just a representation of the program that's running inside the board. Very cool. So can you share some features that are that might be coming up in 2020, despite our beautiful corona pandemic. Um, is there anything, you know, what's going on in the development world of, of microblocks? Yeah, let, let me explain. Uh, we, we had four basic features that we wanted to have uh, before calling microblocks beta. Uh, three of them we, all, we already have, and you, we've already discussed them. One is the liveness well, we've been talking about all along. Then there is automatic autonomy, which is... Uh, what I just mentioned, that you can disconnect the board anytime without needing to upload the program. Then there's parallelism, which we've already discussed too. And the fourth one, which we haven't had uh, until now, is a decompiler that would be able to read programs out of the board into the IDE when plugged in. Uh, this, this one always mm, has always seen other more urgent features jump before it because it was a substantial amount of work. But right now, John Maloney is working on, on the decompiler as we speak, which means we're hopefully going to enter beta this year. And uh, just to elaborate a little bit, the idea for the decompiler is that uh, if you, for example, lend me a board that you've programmed with microblocks, when I plug it into my computer, uh, the program will pop up into my screen right away, right? So I could, I could actually use boards to exchange programs. I think we all had uh, boards in our drawers that uh, we don't know what uh, what's in them, right? So with if they are programmed with microblocks, you can just plug them in and and you'll see what's in them. I think it's, it's it's also a great feature, probably when it comes to the interaction between the teachers and also the students, right? Because then the students could just hand in um, their their devices, right? And the teacher could, for example, quickly visualize the program on their laptop and and put it onto a projector. Or something that's like actually that. a very nice usage. I, I haven't thought of that. I, I had thought of the 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 opposite way: the teaching, the teacher preparing boards uh, with sample programs and handing them to students. So, what else is happening in twenty twenty? I think you just joined SAP, so we're colleagues, right? <laughs> Can you roughly tell us what you're up to? What what are your plans for twenty twenty? So yeah, it's it's quite recent. Uh, I've joined SAP as part of the Young Thinkers Group, and I hope it's it's very recent, as you say. Uh, so I've mostly been just busy with onboarding and getting to know uh, what my group does and so on. 
But I hope that my new job at SAP will mean more time for Snap, in particular the Snap Cloud and community side, which are the two parts of the project I'm mostly involved with. with. Uh, and obviously, I, I also hope I'll have more time for microblocks. And I, I also love teaching and doing workshops and, and videos and so on. And, and that's a big part of what the Young Thinkers group does. So I expect quite a lot of that, too. That sounds very exciting. And I'm really happy that you are on board. Bernard, thank you so much. And all the best for 2020 and the rest of your life, of course. Yeah, to you, too. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. See you. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Microblocks, a cool new way to program microcontroller boards such as the Calliope Mini and others. Now head over to kidslab.dev to check out the show notes with all the links of this episode. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Neil Fraser. He's the inventor of Blockly, a JavaScript library for building visual programming editors. 